Okay, so this is a special version of Obsessed called Obsessed with Daniel Cabeza. Daniel, how are you? Doing great. Uh, dude, I, I asked you this before, but I didn't hear back. Are you now going by Daniel or Danny? Uh, uh, I, it's, I don't really have a preference. Um, okay, because when you were an assistant casting director, you were Danny. But now that you're a big-time casting executive at a network, you're Daniel. Well, I, I, I like uh, both. We, we have a lot of, actually, we, I, at Fox, there's like a lot of Daniels, like Daniel Weidenfeld, who runs our animation, Dan Harrison, who's our head of programming, and we're all kind of, our offices are all by each other. So I go by Danny, I guess, um, probably more, but I totally <laughs> don't mind any, any of them. All right, sweet. Dude, I'm very curious about your life as a casting executive can we talk about what that means we'll talk about life before being a casting executive at a network but what are your day to days how are you involved in the casting process so obviously the world has changed with covid and so um it looks a lot different now than probably um it did you know six months ago but um you know, casting executive is definitely a very different job than being a casting director. Um, you have a lot more, you generally work on more shows, I think. Um, we oversee the shows that are on our network. And so there's the aspect of the actors that are coming in and out of shows that are on the air. And so um, you're overseeing all of those casts. You're interacting with the casting directors with your studio counterparts a lot of you know historically all our shows have been with outside studios sometimes now we're doing them in-house um but so it's it's a there's a lot more communication it's a lot more having to do with communication getting people all on the same page um than specific auditions but sometimes it is you know we're getting into we're very much getting into that process but a lot of times it has to do with educating our colleagues at the network so if it's a programming executive or a scheduling executive or the marketing team um there's stuff that needs to be communicated and we need sort of the decision making trains to run on time and yeah so we there's a lot of that now that's for shows that are on the air now as far as pilots you know pilot season is a totally different animal so with those we're you know, we're getting involved in the very earliest stages and we're trying to figure out a plan and a strategy um, for each show and each pilot. And so, you know, we're starting with those, we're figuring out who do we want to work with as a casting director, who's the, you know, who who's involved with this project from the beginning and how do the writers and producers see this show? Okay. And so pilot season turns into something completely different. You know, then there's there's the pitches. So we're we're listening to pitches from you know if any piece of talent, especially acting talent, comes in, we're we'll be involved in animation or comedy, you know, development conversations and buying pitches that involve yeah. these talent and figuring out identifying people that we want to develop with or certain you know initiatives that the network may be looking for, like we may be looking for a couple to do an animated talk show. So you, you know we're coming up with lists and we're doing that sort of stuff. One of the great luxuries of, of being a casting executive versus being a casting director is casting directors, there's a fire everywhere and you've always putting out fires and you're running towards those fires. Whereas as an executive, a lot of times there are certainly fires everywhere, but um, we have the luxury of, of thinking about things and, and thinking more holistically about casting. We meet actors, you know, before the pandemic, you know, we would meet multiple actors a day, every day. 
with other colleagues and you just get to know people in a way that a lot of time casting directors don't have the time to. Yeah. So we'll meet kids that are coming out of the schools. We'll go to all the, you know, all the showcases. We'll track actors from different things. We'll give reports to different executives. We should be really looking at this person, so on and so forth. You know, um, my colleague, Brittany Roberts puts on a, an amazing night of comedy where we feature, you know, some amazing standups and sort of we bring together all of our casting directors and showrunners and people we have been in business with previously and sort of try and, you know, show yeah. them some exciting comedy voices that we're excited about. So what a fun night. Fun. And is something like that put together uh, from Brittany by you guys just following people's careers and then you handpick, this is the year we want you to participate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so exact, exactly right. And, and Brittany's been doing it for a long time. And so she, you know, she knows she's out at comedy shows constantly and she's very much immersed in this world. And so, you know, any of us that will be out at a show and we'll see somebody and we'll say, this person feels really right. And, you know, it could be six months before it ever happens. Okay. We'll be like, we're looking for people at a certain point in their career where generally they're pretty far along in their stand-up career, but haven't potentially broken through on the acting, writing, creating space. But there's been, you know, from, there's been really great finds and people that have come through that program. Yeah. And so, you know, development stuff comes from it. And so it can be really awesome. fun and exciting. Um, we talked, you talked for a second about the, the list making process. And if for actors who are listening, who, who don't know, especially if one of pilots coming out, the casting teams are always making lists of who they think they might might be right for that character or a, as a prototype it sounds like you're involved in that the other side that makes has me curious about lists is approval when one of your casting directors sends actors tapes to you we're waiting to hear back about approval what does that mean when you guys are approving or not approving so you know lists are something that's you know just the bread and butter of what what casting does. And I think there's a lot of different lists in different offices do lists. Everybody does their list. Every casting director, I worked for a, a lot of different casting directors and everybody's got a very specific way and unique way that they do lists. I've never seen mm. two people that do it exactly. Oh, well. But generally the idea is when we decide, okay, they've greenlit a pilot. The first thing we'll do as a casting department is say, we need to get a casting concept meeting scheduled. And the casting concept meeting is just sort of the meeting of the minds where you'll have, if there's a studio that the studio executives will be involved, we at the network will bring, let's say it's a drama. So the drama executives will be there or potentially the president of our network will be there. The creators of the show, the casting directors, the associates, the assistants, everyone will come and we'll sit in a room when there wasn't COVID, we'd sit in a room and we will, the casting team will have put together, they'll have talked with the producers and they'll put together a sort of a list of names and it'll be a starting off point. And, you know, it depends on the show and the type of show and different things. You know, sometimes it's a star driven piece where there's a star attached from the beginning. Other times, you know, you know, you need to find the right ensemble or or it could be something that doesn't necessarily need stars or it's, it's very specific in the type of role that it is so what you'll have from that meeting is you'll you'll just have a starting point and you'll have a list and it'll generally be you know the people that are big names that you would know that have maybe led a tv series before it's a it's sort of like a seasonal thing who's going to be who's up for this pilot season 
Got it. So before the pilot season even starts, what will happen is all the agents will call us and we'll get we'll schedule the pre-pilot meeting meetings with these agencies. So UTA will call and they will bring in their team and their team will come in with a book and it'll be a book of all these actors that are available wow. and interested in potentially doing broadcast television. And you know, that's not everybody. And it'll be like, oh, well, you know, and everybody's got a story. Well, this person's just had a child and they don't want to leave or this person only right. wants to work in Vancouver. And so you kind of go through and you think about stuff. Now, not all of these actors will go through a process and are, are actually interested. Some will. So as you do that, there is also the process of actually doing auditions and actors mm -hmm. will be coming in and reading while this parallel process is going on where there may be names that are offer only what they would consider meaning that they would not come in to do an audition because of their body of work or wherever they perceive themselves to be in the industry. Um, and so those things can happen in parallel. And they, a lot of times, you know, names, what would be considered, you know, quote unquote, na a name gets beaten out by somebody that came into the room and auditioned. And we, you know, when I talk to actors, I, I totally understand people not wanting to audition when they get to a certain point in their career. But, you know, the actors that really do that sort of take it as just part of the job and are willing to go in to fight for stuff, that's when good things and exciting things and happen and you get the opportunities to do things that people wouldn't normally consider you for, or they don't nor normally see it, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, we, we, we just want to see it. And yeah. that's something you would say to an actor that it, it doesn't mean that the casting department thinks this person needs to show that they can act. Right. It means that to build a consensus around this decision-making process, like we talked about where there's all these cooks in the kitchen, whether it's the head of a studio, the head of a network, the, the show creators, the casting director, the director of the pilot. So part of that is building a consensus. Yeah. And so, you know, when it, when we talk about approvals, approvals, you know, every role that comes, every speaking role that is on, that'll air on the Fox network is approved by one of our casting directors. I mean, one of our casting executives. So, you know, for on-air series, we, you know, guest stars and co-stars are someone that will be covering the show, an executive like myself or one of my colleagues will be covering the show. We'll look at the audition and we'll approve that, that actor. Or we'll say there's a problem with this. You know, it's not, we're not looking to, a lot of very thoughtful and skilled people have gone, put their effort into trying to make these decisions. Yeah. So we're not looking to derail a process. And it's not always our choice or our number one choice for a thing. But, you know, part of the executive role is sort of bringing these, all these groups together because there's so many different people hopefully all pulling in the same direction to achieve a goal. Yeah. And so for us as a casting team, it's, it's, if, you know, if you have some executive that doesn't, that's in the drama team that doesn't, isn't used to looking at auditions, they can look at an audition and not understand the proper context for what this audition is representing of the potential of this actor in this yeah. part. And they may be bumping up against something that's the sides. It's not the actor, it's the sides or whatever it is. A lot of times we'll bring, we'll have to supply additional material and say, oh no, you didn't, you're, you know, you're not seeing what we're seeing because maybe you're not understanding the context or look at what they did here. This is a beautiful piece. They have this in them. Got it. Dude, I want to say you are so concise and you're so well-spoken, dude. I Do you lecture? Like, do you teach about the business? Because you've done no. this before. 
No, I, I do not. Uh, this is my first podcast, <laughs> but um, I have been around for a really long time in the business. Yeah. And that's something that I, I feel lucky to to bring to casting is that I haven't had an exclusive casting background. Um, mm -hmm. So I understand a lot more holistic stuff that's happening, whether it's business affairs or distribution or marketing, there's a lot of different stuff that um, yeah. goes into it. So. Got it. Is there anything in your system when you're looking at approvals and yet you can look up my name and it says, oh shit, he was on one of our shows. He ate everything on craft services. The director hated him. Don't approve. The short answer is no. Uh, there's, there's not a great long, you know, institutional memory when it comes to actors. What we do do is track everyone that's been on our shows. So we have a running, what we call the guest star master list, which is just every person that's been on a Fox show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the assistants keep track of this and we, 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 we track it because, you know, I think it's important to, when we're approving, that's another thing we generally check against is less so now, but we, we just want to make sure that you're not taking a star that's a, has a major recurring arc on a Ryan Murphy show that's going to then on the same night play a totally different character in some comedy or something. You wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense necessarily to have them for, for our audience to have them playing sort of um, conflicting things on our air that could be confusing. Right. Now, if you played you know, a small part on The Resident and six months later you played a totally different small part on, on another show, it's not a big deal. But you do want to keep track of that stuff. Now, of course, if, if people are, it's, it's a small industry and if people are misbehaving or, or created some sort of, you know, problematic situation, that stuff goes with you everywhere and people talk and, and whether it's casting people or executives or agents or whatever, there's, you know, seriously bad behavior, meaning like not eating craft service, but like really bad stuff. That stuff yeah. is known and considered, you know, generally if it's something, you know, look, I think anyone that's been around actors, actors all the time get like bad knocks for being, oh, this person's difficult or this person's challenging and all this sort of stuff. And for me, it, you know, you want to give everybody a fresh start because you don't know the context of what that situation was. And you don't know why someone was like considered difficult. Maybe they were considered difficult because they cared very much about the work and other people didn't, or maybe it's because yeah. they did something that makes them disqualified and they're unemployable because they're a very dangerous, they make it a hostile work environment. In that case, we need to know, and we're not trying to, you know, put other people in a dangerous situation. So mm -hmm. generally we're not like, Oh, this person, was you know was you know didn't do a good job or something but if somebody does not quite work out we're we're aware of it and we would probably steer people away if there was a problem yeah. or if there was something but at the same time again it goes back to the auditions that that side sort of stuff happens where you're like oh well somebody maybe six years ago wasn't great in something but they've changed as an actor, as a human, as a, this role is different and maybe it's the right time for them. And so we're always open to, to see it from somebody. And that's why auditioning for actors that have been around allows them to, to break whatever the casting executive or the casting director's perception of them is. And so always go into audition. I love that. Actually, I'd like to um, expand on that a little, a little bit. I spent a number of years as a casting assistant on a, a show from CBS. And I remembered this one really well-known actor who came in for quote unquote, a meeting. 
He refused. It wasn't a pilot. The show was already going. It, it wasn't um, an audition. It wasn't a direct offer, but at least he was willing to meet and with the producers mainly. And I couldn't wrap my head around why anybody who is maybe going to dedicate the next seven of years of their lives to a character wouldn't want to show people how he would live that character and, and how he interprets the material. I, it just seems like a, a, a scary thing for a producers or a network or a studio to jump into, but it happens all the time. Yeah, it, it definitely does. I think there's, there's, look, it's, it's a, the business is a bit of a dance between, you know, the business side and the business decision side and the creative side. And I think for actors, the, the most, the most simple way I can explain it. And I think any actor that's been in an audition understands this acting and auditioning are different skills. And a lot of people that have been on shows for a long time are wonderful actors, but maybe potentially out of practice with auditioning and people don't, their agents and their professional people don't want to put them in a position to fail. Um, and that's totally understandable because they're probably maybe bad auditioners or they think they're bad auditioners or they're not going to be able to, they don't have enough time to prepare the material. That's the other thing about, especially with pilot stuff. It just, it happens so fast that we don't give the proper amount of time for people to really do the best work they can do. Everybody understands that hopefully in the context. And so, but things, auditions get taken out of context and you see people lose jobs because they auditioned, but that doesn't mean they shouldn't have auditioned. It just means it, it, it didn't work out. You know, I don't think you can, it's just stuff that there's so much as an actor that's out of your control. Doing your best on an audition is, is, is in your control. So you yeah. can do your best and try and have a take, but yes, people, people, I think there's a lot of different levels of trying to get someone to engage with a project and people that have large bodies of work, you know, you wouldn't ask somebody that had been playing a detective for 25 seasons on law and order to come in and do an audition for a detective. That would be sort of disrespectful to the work they've done, but to have them come in and, you know, play a stand-up comedian or something or, or mm -hmm. something completely that no one's ever seen from them. It's reasonable to ask, to give producers, like you said, to make people comfortable about what they're getting into. Mm. But, you know, meetings can be really useful too, because it's, you know, it's like you're going off on a, like you said, for things could in success, you're going off for seven years with somebody. So if I'm going to go be locked on a submarine with somebody in a small confined space, you want to, if you can't see it from an auditions perspective, there's a lot of people you just want to make sure that from a writing and producing and making this show perspective that the actor fits within this team. And there's, you know, everyone's got the same vision for what this could be. I see. And how about the table read? Is that something that before pre COVID, I mean, we're trying to figure out how this is going to work now, but before all this, would you guys go to the table reads? Cause I know sometimes that can be a little intense, especially for some of the, the co-star actors or guest directors who might lose a job for a bad table read performance? Yeah. So look, I think, yes. So part of what happens during pilot season. So for on dramas, the network is only going to be really involved with the pilot table read on comedies. Everything we, we do table reads on all of our comedies and all of our animation people. It, 
people get replaced after after table reads. It's and it comes from upon high, and it's an awful, awful, awful thing. But it's part of the business, and you know, I think there was there's some people that you know some. At, you know, at the top kind of level executives that are sort of notorious for doing this. And, you know, we, you have to kind of go with it. It's heartbreaking and it's unfortunate, but yes, people will show up for table reads. They will be, it's, it's not something that generally will happen to a, to a smaller part. You know, I don't, it, you won't always have the co-stars at the table reads. Sometimes you'll have the big guest stars there depending on where they're shooting, it could be Atlanta, it could be New Mexico, especially for the dramas, it's less likely to be LA. But it's, it's pretty brutal. Yeah, people get replaced and they get replaced because a million different reasons. And sometimes it's their fault, sometimes it's not. And when you say it's their fault, it's not like, oh, well, they did a bad job or they didn't perform up to a certain level. It's just maybe it wasn't right for the part or they they took it a different direction mm-hmm. but you know those those decisions aren't made lightly there there's a lot of people involved um and you know it's it's the there's a director that's supposed to be directing and so you just want people to take their table reads and some people just think like oh well i've already been hired to be this series regular on this show like the the work's already done and they could get replaced a day later. Yeah, and if they're phoning you know, it in or something. Yeah, if they're phoning it in or they, they didn't, they're not responding to the director's notes or they're, the, the showrunner didn't see it and the executives had always, you know, not everybody is always aligned as far as the decision making, but part of being good partners is trusting the people you're in business with. So maybe the studio fought for this person mm-hmm. to be the lead and the network's like, okay, we'll give you the chance. And then they see the table read and now they're very concerned. They're going to have to, you know, to make television costs, if you had, do a season, it's millions and millions of dollars. And so if you're going to invest in people, you want to, you know, you all, you just want to believe that they're going to be able to get to where you all hope this is going. Yeah. So let me ask you this question about the process. An actor like myself, typically a guest star actor, is not always invited, not always contractually obligated to go to the table read, but we are often invited to come, meaning you don't get paid, but we would love for you to be there. And I have always thought, of course, I'm going to be there. It's amazing. But the more I hear about people getting fired at table reads, should I decline an invitation based on that fear? Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think so. I mean, I think part of being, you know, look, it's, I think you run a risk, but I, you also run the risk of alienating producers and directors by not showing up to something that could be, Why wouldn't you show up? Look, they hired you. They hired you because they liked you. They hired you because they thought you were right for this part. They didn't hire you because they wanted to replace you. Yeah. So look, I think it's really scary being an actor and going out there and giving a performance and like letting it be out there and not knowing what's going to happen with it. So Mm -hmm. it's just part of that, that high wire act of being an actor. You've got to go out there and give it your best and you do what you can do. And it sits there and it's got to, it's got to speak for itself. And, and sometimes that means that you, took it in another direction than they wanted to take it. But, you know, I, it's a, no, it's good doesn't mean don't show up to, to try because you might get rejected. It's just, it's part of the business. It's not personal. And it's just a thing that happens and it could be a million different reasons. 
that are out of your control. So yeah. you can't get too uh, emotionally invested in it. You just gotta, you know. Totally, man. Let me raise the stakes on this for a second. Mm -hmm. Why do so many pilots have recasts after they get picked up? It's a good question. I think when you're making a pilot, you don't have the data to show you what's working and not working necessarily. So you're going to do tests. You're going to get all kinds of different numbers from your research department. You're going to have everyone in the, in the company watch it. You'll have it, everybody from you know the CEO all the way down to assistants. To everybody watches these things and everyone's got opinions. But it's not, there's no magic cure for making something that's uh, 78% effective, 87% effective. So everyone's looking for levers to pull and to try and elicit something. They yeah. believe in something, they're seeing something in the pilot, and maybe potentially they're not seeing something else. I think pilots are easy because, easy, they, not easy, but they frequently be get recast because one, the stakes are really high. And going from, you know, getting a pilot greenlit to begin with, you've, you know, you've, you've sort of won the lottery just statistically. It's just rare compared to all the pitches that are out there. So mm -hmm. to, to get to that stage, it's really hard. Now to get from that stage on air and through a first season is even exponentially harder. So there's so much resources and so much that goes into it that you, they just sometimes look for ways to change things. And, you know, you can't go back. Replacing an actor is a lever to pull and you can say, oh, we didn't like this performance. Well, you maybe didn't like the performance because of the writing, but we can't go rewrite this thing. I mean, you can go back and rewrite this thing, reshoot it, do it completely differently, which they can do. But a lot of times this, you know, you'll find performances that somebody bumps against or it wasn't this character wasn't the what was on the page turned out to be completely different than what's on the pilot. And you know, you just, ne you never know. People are just yeah. looking to try, people and producers especially want their, this is their baby. They've fought so hard to get it so far along and they've actually shot something yeah. in the network or the studio comes to you and says, oh, well, if you just, we, we like, we sort of like it. It's in contention. We're just not sure about actor X. Oh, well then let us, you know, it's like everything we have is on the line. Do we, do we placate these people? We believe in actor X, but if it means getting our show on the air, give them these decision-making people what they want. Yeah. And so, you know, it happens. It just happens. And I think part of making a, a pilot is because you're trying to figure out what the show is and mm -hmm. it's not a finished thing. And the writing changes and the characters change and, and all of it changes. You know, if you look at, you know, it's not really related, but like if you look at the Simpsons, the sort of first season was all through Bart's perspective. And that show pivoted to more through Homer's perspective. And that happens totally. all the time with shows. Totally. The pilot, the first season, it's still figuring out what it is. And so it's just one of the things that can be changed and that's in their control. And so they look to do that. Good answer. Um, I often talk to casting directors and series regular actors about the um, process of going in for the network the test and i always find those stories fascinating can we discuss it a little bit from your perspective are you in the room yeah. for a test yeah absolutely so um testing and that is 
it's a, it's a world that's evolved, I think. And I, I think when I, you know, I've, I'm four years now at Fox, so we've been through four pilot seasons and um, it's, it's, the world does feel like it's evolving, but you know, what, what it means by a test is let's say you had the leading role and all of the, all of the casting process through this pilot is it's been auditions, it's been offers, and you get down to some selects and it's sort of whittling this giant list down to the absolute favorites. And instead, you know, in a film casting, you know, the, there's generally one voice and that's a director typically. And that would be, okay, this is the actor I want. Let's hire them. We'll make them an offer. If they are available, they can come to terms. That's, they'll do it. Well, in TV, it's just such a bureaucratic process by nature because there's so many people involved in making television, mm-hmm. not just at a, a, not just at a corporate level, just even in the creative, you know, there's writers rooms and there's directors and there's a non-writing executive producers. And so there's so many people involved that it, it's part of the processes. You have to let, you know, people have their process, whether that's creators and showrunners. So, but then you also have to let, the companies, the, the bureaucratic organizations kind of come to their decision-making process as well. And so what will generally happen is hopefully they'll be going through their process. We'll be keeping track of what's happening, who are the front runners, and they will go from what may be started as a first audition to a callback. Then a callback may be called back to work with a director and they may get notes or they may do a chemistry read with another actor advancing that process and you know in the olden days people would come in front of a room and i i don't know if cbs still does it i thought at one point cbs was doing this they still bring a room full of executives and the actors come in and audition live in front of a room full of people yeah i that's the only way i i know of it is that not yeah no that's not nobody i i don't most people don't do that anymore wow cbs may still do it but live live tests don't generally happen what will happen is we will get a what will typically happen is we'll go through well it'll be on tape Mm -hmm. so and people are so spread out now and COVID is going to even double this but what will happen is the casting team all of the people we talked about will all come into the network it'll start so it's a process but let's say they come up with they have three finalists they know who they really want but they'll always put up a couple of contenders hopefully to give people choices Mm-hmm. And this gets into deep game theory and psychology of how this works. And certain casting directors have their sort of, you know, magic potions for this. But, you know, sometimes you'll put people up that they don't necessarily want, you know, to cast in an effort to make the other actor look good. Or you just don't know. They may have somebody in the studio may want one person and then the writer may want somebody else and then the network may want somebody else. But what they will do is typically we'll say, okay, we're going to have our network test for this role before that has happened, before it comes to us and all of the studio executives come over and all of the producers and the casting team and everyone shows up into a dark room where we all sit and watch these auditions together before that happens, it's gone through the studio process. And typically if you had, for example, a, you know, a 20th, 20th show, which is a studio, our former studio or Warner brothers, they'll have what they call tape rooms where they'll bring you in with the casting director, 
the director, the the showrunners and stuff. And so that part will be taped and they'll make it, they'll put you in hair and makeup, hopefully, and they'll light it nicely, hopefully. And they'll make the addition the absolute premium best it can be. Now that's not, you can't always do that, but that's typically what they do. That's awesome. So they'll go in and they could bring in six people to test if, at studio. Now, not everybody makes it through that process. So sometimes they all do, sometimes they don't. But let's say they did that and they said, oh, three of these candidates we love, three we're going to let go. So then they'll let three go and then three will make it through, uh, some portion will make it through. Sometimes it's all of them, but sometimes usually it's just a portion will then be put forth to network for approval. And then that process, then generally the, the casting team will bring in headshots and resumes. We'll all sit in a dark room. We'll watch a roll and it'll be generally be on like a digital or DVD or something. And so we'll go, we'll watch through three different auditions, let's say. The lights come on and then it's just like this awkward moment where no one's sure what to say. But typically what will happen, hopefully the studio and the network and the creators see are seeing the same thing. You know, yeah. they watch these auditions like, oh, well, it's got to be actor B because B is clearly the best choice. Yeah. Well, it's not always like that. So another thing that will happen is the showrunners will make a pitch. This is, th what did you guys think? This is why we think A should be the choice because we, this is what we love about this performance. This is where we think this character can go. And typically they will try and get the approval pr you know, or the studio will make a case. We've got to hire this person. We believe in this person. And that mm. could be the head of the studio. I mean, they come in and pitch and fight for actors all the time. And then we'll go back. We'll step away. We'll go back internally within the network and we'll have our president of our network. If it's a drama, it'll be someone from who's ever covering on the drama side and our casting team. And we'll have a dialogue and we'll say, do we want to approve this? Do we not want to approve this? What are, what are the key indicators? And, this is where casting executives bring the expertise in these meetings to try and, you know, you're trying to fight for what's best for the show, but best yeah. for the showrunners, best for everybody, but also you have to protect the interests of the network. And so, you know, you may be asking to say, oh, well, you've got to see this performance and so on, share other material or consider the context of this. And so that's where we will plead our case for actors or, or you know, yeah. for choices. Man, it sounds like you do a lot of work. That is exhausting. You have um, this, I call it the casting director superpower. The one thing that all casting directors need is this incredible memory for names and faces. And we saw each other at an event a couple years ago, and you were like, Seth, you auditioned for me on Hail Caesar three years ago. And, like, and I can't remember the drink I just ordered. Like, it's pretty impressive. Is that one of the reasons this this memory or this this uh, desire you have to understand actors. Is that why you went into casting in the first place? You know, I would say, look, I, I, I think there are a lot of people that, that have that superpower that you've described. I would say I definitely do not, but oh. I think, you know, I think people for me, I think getting into casting is, is about, you know, acting, it, it sort of happened that way. I don't, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly how I ended up here, but here I am. And I, and I, you know, I love actors. I, I've worked for some really amazing casting directors that have, you know, helped me to understand so much more about, you know, acting, but I'm, I'm, I think for me, it's, I don't know if I could do this job honestly without IMDb Pro. Mm -hmm. 
to me, I can remember performances. I can remember faces. I can remember that person from the thing perfectly. Like I always will remember a performance. I won't always remember a name. And so sometimes it's like, I'll be on a, in a meeting and be like, I know exactly the actor I, I want. I see their face. I remember the performance and I can't quite remember the name. And so it may be, you know, quickly looking up what, what that was, that, that thing, because I knew who the person, that other person that was in it. And, you know, so it's not, you don't have to, I think now with, with the digital world, you don't have to be afraid to not know exactly every person's name. But I think there's a lot of casting people that have this, an encyclopedia, but that's, I think to me, it's more about being exposed to performances and being able to see everything and as much as possible and recognize what you like and don't like about different performances in different contexts and different types of mediums, whether it's on stage or yeah. a stand up or a piece of animation or a dramatic role or a feature, whatever it is. But so that, that sort of the, the love of performance and what actors do, I think a lot of people get into casting coming from an acting background. That's not the, that was not the case for me. I, no. I'm not an actor, n- never aspired to be an actor. But I, I really do appreciate the magic of, of what actors do. You know, I remember my, one of my very first auditions on a feature you know, we did the, we did the scene and I didn't, I wasn't quite sure what I, you know, I'm in this audition, I'm taping, I'm running the camera and I'm watching this and I, you know, it's sort of new to be doing this and the scene is over and the casting director starts talking to the actor and the actor starts talking in a British accent. And I was just, that's not a big deal, but it was just yeah, like, yeah, I just assumed this person was an American from this performance he just gave. And I'm just wow. like, that's, that was magic. Like I was truly convinced that this was an American person. And so just to watch what actors are capable of doing and to be able to, to facilitate, it's so hard, like we talked about, it's so scary, it's so hard to do that. I, I could not do that. I don't have, I don't have it to be able yeah. to do that, but to be able to, to support people that are willing to take that risk and, and make a case and fight for people that you believe in yeah. is really, really rewarding. and acting is so cool. It's like such a cool thing to be able to do. And the people that do it, even when it's not, a, you don't have to be the best actor in the world to be doing something really, really awesome and respectable and cool. And so when you can fight for people that have this dream and are willing to take these risks, it's really, really rewarding. Yeah, and so cool it's been say. fun. Um, I, what I remember about reading for you on Hail Caesar was what good direction you give in your auditions i mean there's like okay try this now let's you know what let's go back and let's 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 try this and sometimes an actor's instincts can be totally wrong or sometimes you know if you see something an actor you can just give them opportunities to try something different so you can see something but i just remember you i felt like you were either in our head or the director's head like really trying to figure out how this character worked in the script so i assume since you had that ability to do it, you must have liked the audition process. You, you, do you miss being in the room now? A hundred percent. I miss doing my bad readings on the other side of the camera. No, um, no I, I tease, I tease. But um, yes, I a hundred percent miss being in the room for auditions. It, there's nothing else like it because 
especially for actors to be able to, it's why it's wonderful to try and, you know, volunteer or hopefully not volunteer, get paid, but like to be a reader or to just be in auditions yeah. or whatever it is, because there's nothing like seeing 30 or 40 people do something as simple as like whatever, let's say it's a, a two liner. That's a waiter at a cafe. I mean, you could do that a trillion different ways and to see what people are able to bring to that um, is really, really cool. Yeah. And you can I, sort I, of I, get a context of, you know, you can, I can read sides and be, okay, this is the sides we're doing today. I see, I read the sides. I see, the, I get the scene, but when an actor comes in that that's does something really cool with it or something unexpected or something just wonderful, it's like, Oh, Oh, I get this scene now. Like I'm finally seeing what this, PNB as a as a fully formed piece and so I definitely miss um, being in auditions and you know just find I feel like you get to not everybody gets the job and this is another part about why always going in for anything you can is awesome because just getting to know actors that I didn't know before actors that aren't you know movie stars that do great work and that are doing interesting things and they don't need to be cast in the part for me to gain something from that as a casting director to be there in the room with them and see them do something so cool. It sticks with you. Those, those definitely stick with you. You have audition. I have auditions that I will never forget for people that definitely didn't get the part and probably maybe weren't even close to getting the part, but I'm such a fan of what they did that I'll always think of them and, and try and figure out some, how do I figure out how to get this person cast in something because they're so cool. Yeah. You liked it. That's so cool, dude. I love hearing you say stuff like that. I won't keep you too much longer. I have a, a really serious question. Now that you are working for a company that's owned by Disney, did they give you a silver pass? So this is, um, this is part of the corporate world is no one can ever keep straight who works for who and what's what. So, oh. and I, we dealt with two years of merger separation, um, who knew what was going to happen. And so, that's another part of, of the sort of executive world is just uncertainty and things happen at a, at a level that you're sort of out of your control. Yeah. But um, so I work for Fox, the television network, which is now we're calling it Fox entertainment. And that's different than 20th television. 20th got sold to Disney. And so the oh. 20th was a studio and the studio was sold to Disney and 20th is now just one of the, Disney studios, they have ABC studios and they have 20th. They've got, you know, Marvel and a bunch of other different things, but I work for an independent company. That's Fox. That's just, so Fox. you did definitely not get a silver pass. Yeah. Hopefully <laughs> yeah. you made friends with somebody over at the 20th century, whatever you just said it was now. Because yeah, no, I, I don't have a silver pass, but I, I'm not a, uh, park goers so you don't care anyway you'll find but I okay think. last thing i love following you on twitter uh -oh. um sometimes you just put it out there sometimes you talk about sports and, and i have no idea about that but when you're talking politics or making a joke i get it dude you're so funny can can i invite people to follow you on twitter please please do but just strap in because it's not um it's i look it's three i really focus on i do tweet a lot about sports from the South Florida, Miami perspective, where I'm originally okay. from. I'm a big okay. Miami Hurricanes fan. I tweet a lot of stuff about actors and acting, which I do 
which is the other passion, but very different. And so they're just very different audiences. And I do tweet a lot about politics. I know. And you're always right. I love what you do. <laughs> dude, thank so, you so much for taking yeah, the, fun, the, the, the time, dude. Yeah, it was good to see you again. Obsessed is the best podcast.